Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime. With Kaylin and Elena. Hi Kaylin. Hi, how are you? <sighs> <laughs> the side eye I just got tells a lot. Well, it's been a week, uh, another week. It seems like every week has been a week lately. And then my case has me all kinds of riled up. That's fun. And we are recording this the day after the horrific shooting in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And I hope none of my students or parents or anybody like that's listening because I'm going to swear. Fuck white supremacists. Fuck them. Crawl back under the refrigerator like the cockroaches you are and die. I'm done. And... The rhetoric that's coming out of certain places that should know better that are that are claiming that white nationalism is not a rising problem when every major study of crime says yes it is and even other branches of the government are saying yes it is. I I'm done. I'm done. I love when you get riled up like this. Under <sighs> terrible circumstances. I will say Drunk. that under terrible circumstances, right. but I do love when you get all wild up like this. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm just, I, I was just thinking a little bit earlier today about that basically I think I'm a fairly optimistic person, like in my core, my true, true being. And for the most part, I usually, I'm not one of those people who's always the good old days, you know, yeah. I, I don't buy into that kind of garbage, but it's hard to feel like things are getting better. Yeah. You know, when things like this happen, it just, it throws me into a really dark place and it's really, really disheartening. Yeah. And, um, my case today is full of white male privilege. And <laughs> so <laughs> I think maybe the combination of the two things just got me really, really riled up. So that's super fun. Yeah. A lot of other things going on too. You're going to get really riled up with this case, by the Great. way. Yeah. I, didn't really look into it a whole lot, mm -hmm. but before we had started like recording the podcast at all and stuff, I had gone through and tried to kind of get ahead of myself and find a case that I was interested that I would then later go into deeper research on. And I like wrote a list of it and you, the case that you picked today was actually on that list. I'm sure. And then when like that was the one I had decided to do for Alaska and last minute when I had gotten into more research, I found one that is something completely different from what I normally do, which is really exciting because I've been trying to get out of my normal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty excited. But I, d I did do like a little bit right. of research on it, but I don't know a whole lot about it. I didn't dig deep at all. Okay, so... The case that I'm doing is super famous, and anyone who knows anything about true crime and Alaska is going to know this case. But like you, I did a little research, first of all, you know, and I like to do my woman thing, I like to do my historical thing, and there was a case I came across, I think he was an Inuit, he was one of the, a First Nations person up, up there who had killed many people that he felt like were encroaching on his hunting lands. That looked kind of problem. There are a couple things. And then when I looked up women killers in Alaska on Murderpedia, there were three. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. One of them actually was listed as having zero victims. Because Did you read into that? A tiny bit. Okay. Well, yes. let's just not okay. talk yeah, about we won't that. Talk, well, maybe because we might, you know, loop around again. Mm -hmm. But she was never really convicted. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I don't want to do that. And then... 
The other woman was a domestic abuse victim and there's a lot of, he had it coming, so it's hard. There was another woman I ran across at random, but really she just, she and her husband set a guy up and raw. It just wasn't very interesting. Yeah. However, as I was researching, I did find out that Alaska has the highest number of serial killings. Oh. Which I, but not really surprising because I just kind of think of Alaska as a place that if you wanted to be a murderer, you would run. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, because it just seems like a good place. Uh, the homicide rate against women and girls in Alaska is three times the national average. So there's a lot of not so cool things about Alaska that I found out in my research. Oh, we have special guest dogs. Well, one's my dog, but one's a special guest dog. So I think we've heard them in the past. In the last episode that just got put out, our Pennsylvania episode. Yeah, I thought I heard that. That was full of so. jingling and barking. Yes. So the, our special guest dog is Halo. She belongs to a friend of mine, and I am often her puppy nanny. And then I have a little hellhound that think she's tougher than she is so anyway my case like I said is very very well known it was even the inspiration for a movie starring Nicolas Cage and my boyfriend John Cusack who <laughs> plays a really bad guy called The Frozen Ground which I was just watching as you drove up tonight Late. so many of our I didn't say it <laughs> Many of our listeners will already know just from that who the case is, but we also have a literary tie to this case. So many of you who remember 7th, 8th, ninth grade English may remember reading a short story called The Most Dangerous Game because it's a short story that often gets anthologized. Is that the... No, maybe that's... No, that's not. Never mind. Continue. Okay. So, it was written in 1924 by a man named Richard Connell. It, too, has been made into a movie, and it has been the inspiration for lots of TV episodes and shows that have played on the same idea. And, like I said, you know, you just want to get teenagers to read. So what better than a story about a guy who lures a big game hunter to his private estate and then explains to the big game hunter, you are now the prey. And if you can survive the next three days while I hunt you, I'll let you go. But if not... You die. You die. That's cool. Yeah, so... And of course, the story is kind of meant to address the moral ambiguity of hunting, especially big game hunting, which I have a huge problem with. I have no problem at all with people who hunt for food... You know, that, but if you're just hunting to cut off the tail or the horns of an animal and nothing else, I'm sorry. I, I don't think you're a very good person. That's my personal opinion. Yell at me if you must. We have a discussion page for that. Yeah. Nobody's really yelled at me yet. I'm really shocked. Mm -hmm. Either nobody's listening <laughs> or they know I'm crazy, which I think <laughs> is probably the big thing. But anyway, my case today is Robert Hansen with an E. And like I said, I'm pretty sure a lot of people already know about him. He's also known by the delightful nickname, The Butcher Baker. And he is a serial rapist and murderer. And like a couple of your cases, he is, all, he is brought down by an incredibly resourceful and brave young woman. Good. So in June of 1983... A truck driver is flagged down by 17-year-old Cindy Paulson. She's disheveled. She's bloody. She's barefoot. She's running down 6th Avenue just outside of Anchorage, Alaska, and she is also handcuffed. Okay. 
So of course, you know, ding, 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 bells go off. The truck driver picks her up and he takes her to a hotel. I'm not sure if she asked to be dropped off there or like if she had said, you know, hey, stop here and then jumped out. But anyway, she runs into the hotel and asks them to call some sources said her boyfriend, some sources said her pimp to call this person. And then the man in the truck continued on to his workplace where he immediately called the police. Yeah. So story comes out that Cindy, and I kept thinking of your Cindy and your Cindy Cindy, <laughs> your New Mexico case, right? Anyway, she said that a man had offered her $200 for oral sex and had then kidnapped her, chained her by the neck to a post in his basement, raped her tortured her, then took a nap on a nearby sofa in his basement. Okay. After that, he handcuffed her, threw her in the back of his vehicle, told her that he was took her to a place where he had a small plane. And this is in Alaska, so everybody has a small plane. And anyway, while he was readying the plane, she was watching him, and when his back was turned, she managed to get out of the car and just took off running. And that's when... The rest of these events happened. When she talks to police, she tells them that she was barefoot because her blue sneakers were on the back seat of his car and that that would be helpful. But she was also able to describe her captor in exquisite detail, and the police immediately knew that it was Robert Hansen. Jeez. Yeah. But he, well, we're going to talk about that white male privilege a okay. little bit more, okay? So Robert Hansen had been in Alaska since 1967. Okay. This was the year 1983, as we said. He was married, had two children, and owned a bakery. He was also a fairly famous and well-known big game hunter. He had even, you know, caught some record-breaking trophy hunts. So, Robert Hansen is born in 1939 in Esterville, Iowa. Uh, his father was described as being quite strict. He also owned a bakery, made his son work with him. And even though Robert said he didn't, you know, that he and his father had a very tumultuous, not a good relationship, and he didn't really enjoy working in the bakery, obviously he ends up doing that in Alaska. We get to... The same old, same old story that I'm really sick of hearing about how badly he was bullied when he was young because he had acne and a stutter. And I'm just like, I don't care. I, I don't care anymore. I really don't. I, I've been a teacher too long. I have witnessed far too many of these dynamics. And I just find that most people who are bullied turn it inward. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's always victimizers who want to claim that they're victims. Yes. And, and I'm always skeptical. And, and it's just, I don't know. And I have yet to be proven wrong. It might be out there. Again, fight me. I'm, I'm just done with it. And most of the talk of, you know, his bullying comes from him himself. Yeah. So, you know, screw that. I'm not into it. In 1957, at the age of 18, he joins the U.S. Army Reserve, and this is where he does show great skill as a marksman. Because it's the reserve, he's not full-time. He continues to also work when he's not doing his reserve duty at the family bakery. 
1960, he marries a local girl, falls in love. And so this is again where I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were so bullied and life was so hard for you. Me, 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 me. But you get married. You're young. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm tired of this narrative. Yeah. Anyway, later that same year on the 7th of December, and this is where I'm like, you're just a piece of garbage, psychopath. You know, like I have no sympathy for this guy whatsoever. He burns down the school bus garage at the high school that he graduated at. Why? That was my question. I never saw anything about any sort of a, a motive. Like, do you know what I mean? There, there doesn't seem to be any personal gain in it other than some sort of petty revenge. That's weird. Yeah. That's a very random thing to do. Like, I'm just going to burn down the school buses. What? Yeah, like I said, weird dude. He does have a friend who turns him in for it, the arson. He gets a three-year sentence. Cue the male white privilege. Serves 20 months. And is paroled even though he was diagnosed as having what was called back then infantile personality. So there was at this time, I mean, other than the fact, hey, you committed arson. Um, there, there were people who were looking at him and saying there's definitely some psychological disorders here. But, hey, parole him. Let him go. He's fine. Yes. And in a very short time, so his, his first wife did divorce him, which you can understand. I'm curious to, like, know whether or not him being paroled had anything to do with the lack of aggression towards somebody else. The fact right. that, like, they didn't, they probably didn't see him... Well, yeah, so he burns down a building. There's yeah. nobody in it. Yeah, There's he just didn't buses. hurt anybody. Right, right. And so he's not... He didn't set fire to a school when there were children inside. Yeah, right, He's right. not a threat to the community. A, 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 you know what I mean? Right, That's probably right. a, at least a part of it. Right. So it's kind of you to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because that's me. Because that's going to get harder to do as we get into this case. Yeah, so I guess we'll... Yeah. So very shortly after he's paroled and, you know... Like I said, it, the town he lived in in Iowa was, was small enough. People pretty much knew he manages to get married again. So again, yeah, I don't want to hear your crap about, oh, women didn't like me because I had acne. Me, me, me. And he continues to have problems with petty theft. And so he up and moves to Alaska with his wife. Okay. Who is a very, very de deeply religious woman. We'll talk a little bit more about her too. They do end up having two kids. Now, I'm not sure if the children were born in Iowa before they headed up to Alaska or if it was after they got there. That I'm not sure about. One of the record, or th uh, sorry, the sources that I read seemed to think that the two kids were born prior to their move. But like I said, that was really hard to find. And, and I totally understand that people who are related to people like this don't want information out there yeah yeah so anyway like I said he's a big-time hunter he and of course you know Alaska Moose. right known for its hunting he sets various records collects trophies despite his very religious wife and this you know picture-perfect nice wife two lovely children he's a regular at strip clubs yeah yeah and there's a part of Anchorage where a lot of these clubs were clustered. And of course there's a thriving, what do I want to say? A thriving trade 
in sex workers, prostitutes, and he's there a lot. And it seems like his wife knew that he was doing that. So, oh. yes. And again, we've talked about this before, but this idea that, you know, sex workers are treated so horrifically by society and which makes them easy victims and it makes it easy for people like this to do what they do because and get away with it. Yeah. So at least two sex workers had told police in the mid 70s, so well before, you know, maybe as much as 10 years prior to poor Cindy Paulson running down the street traumatized that he was a nut job with rape fantasies. Oh, and there's more. Okay. So I, I'm sorry, I'm kind of loopy a little bit on this one. I didn't get my narrative out quite as straight as I wanted to, but I'm going to loop back to his wife for a little bit. So his wife, whose name is Darla, stood by him through all of this. Now here's the thing. In addition to knowing that he was going to prostitutes, mm -hmm. throughout the 1970s, he was committing crimes that his ass should have been locked up for. Okay. Probably one of the most serious that I saw was there was a young secretary that he apparently saw and took a liking to. He attempted to kidnap her at gunpoint from her own apartment what? in 1972. Did it get reported? Yes. What? It was not only reported, he was convicted. Are you joking? He was convicted of another rape. <sighs> Want to know what his sentence was for kidnapping the young woman at gunpoint? Probably, let's see, I'm going to take a guess. Just take a guess. Just 18 take a months. Guess. The sentence was five years. Okay, okay. Well, oh, that's what I was, I wasn't going towards sentence. I was going but, towards what he served. Here's the but. I'm saying 18 oh, months. He didn't even serve 18 months, honey. <sighs> he was immediately transferred to a halfway house. What? And was completely paroled in 1973. So he didn't serve any of his time? No. What? Basically none. This was my reaction. Oh my gosh. In addition, and so this, this thing is minor, but he was arrested and convicted of stealing a chainsaw. He had multiple arrests and convictions of theft. And like I said, he had this attempt at kidnapping. There was a reference to another rape. You had the two sex workers coming forward saying, hey, this dude's dangerous. So you want to talk about red flags. We're talking like an entire section of the town painted red. And nothing is done with this guy. And so when Cindy Paulson is interviewed, again, there's the whole, well, she's a 17-year-old prostitute. What does she know? They don't take her seriously. The local police, local people were like, oh, that's Bob. He runs the bakery. He would never do this. And they let him go. That is nuts. Now, and he had two friends who lied for him and provided him with an alibi. I hate people. Well, I hate entitled men who feel like it's their right to take whatever they want sexually from a woman who think... Playing that, I had bad acne and a stutter, and I got rejected in high school, and me, 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 poor me. So I spend the rest of my life victimizing and treating women like animals. And in this case, you can't. Yeah. That's not a metaphor. And see, the thing that, I think the thing that pisses me off is, 
he has all of these excuses that like he was always made fun of and blah 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 but like you got two people to marry you and so you you can't be that bad and darla stands by and like i said darla knew about the arson conviction and yeah. the time he spent she stands by him one source that i read said that she did divorce him but it it was not very credible everywhere else i looked they were still legally married when he died. I think that probably has something to do with, you did say that she was very deeply religious. Mm -hmm. And depending on how religious she is, it's probably not acceptable through the church for her to have divorced at all. I'm sorry. When your husband's a serial rapist, murderer, any church that tells you you can't get a divorce is a not a church, it's a cult, and you need to leave. And again, don't get me started on patriarchy and how embedded it is in churches, because, <laughs> like I said, I'm I'm on a thin wire tonight, sister. Oh my goodness, so, I can't. This is great. Okay, <laughs> Like I said, I am just, this case just is so heinous. And Darla even admitted he was verbally abusive to her and the children. Mm-hmm, verbally. Um, she said that whenever he would be gone for long periods of time, she just, she knew that there were prostitutes and she just assumed he was visiting them. She claimed that they lived very separate lives. Every summer she took the kids and went and visited relatives in Arkansas. She also claimed that all the money from the bakery was his. She earned her own money. I can't remember. She did something. But like I said, this all seems very me-me to me. I'm, not, I'm, I'm very skeptical. And, and, and regardless, no matter what she says, and, you know, God bless her, she has to somehow, I don't know, try to live with the thought that you slept next to this monster for how many years of your life. Yeah. It's still, and, and like you said, it just, it knocks his poor bullied me. Nobody loved me. I'm such a poor little victim bullshit right out the window yeah, because so. he managed to get two different women to yeah marry exactly him, so. and like i said and, and this was this one this woman took ride or die to ridiculous levels yeah. so what we probably do know so like i said he you know he commits the arson back in 1960 there there's a string of crimes that he does but it he the murder this thing that became his pattern that he becomes very well known for probably started in 1971 1973 somewhere in that time frame so he starts this pattern he would target sex workers and topless dancers solicit them abduct them put them in his bush plane to what he called his cabin but was also described as a meat shack he claimed that if the women submitted if they did what he asked them told them to do he would do his thing violate them and he seemed to have a preference for making them perform oral sex and then he would often rape them with objects like the handles of tools and things like this which pretty brutal and okay so i have never really understood i mean the concept of rape in general is kind of crazy but what i don't understand is why men particularly will, when they rape and torture these women or kidnap and rape them, why is oral, like, your go-to? Like, I get it, kind of. Well, but no, like, they would perform on him, not him. No, that's yeah. what I'm okay. saying. Because it's... How, 
It's so dangerous. It is for the men. That is dangerous. Well, and they're they're like I remember. So along those lines, when my mom, when we we used to live in a, a little town in Colorado, my mom was a nurse in the emergency room, and there was a woman who came into the emergency room. And she was holding in her hand part of a severed human tongue. And she explained that a man had tried to rape her, had stuck his tongue in her mouth, and she had bit down and bit off his tongue. Good! And honestly, and so they immediately called the police. And of course, very shortly thereafter, in stumbles a man bleeding profusely from the mouth. And they caught him. Well, and I mean, like, I don't want this to sound like victim shaming in any mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. But... I don't understand why more women don't do that. Well, he had a gun. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, there there was... His level of force here was undeniable. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so. I, think, I think also just, like, more in general, when the men don't have guns, they're like, I understand being scared, but... And you know what? There is something... I know it's like most a fight-or-flight thing. Many human beings, there are certain things... And again, and this just shows what aberrations and monsters people like Robert Hansen are. Because like you said, that's something you would think, okay, right, this is my chance to escape. That is such a brutal, heinous act. And most people are so hardwired not to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you talk to people who teach self-defense classes and, you know, they tell people, you go for the eyes. You go for the grossest, most painful. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? But that is something that you really have to work to instill in most people. Yeah. That no, there are no boundaries when your safety's, you know, at, at stake. Yeah. Most people are decent human beings. And what you just said, I think, is proof of that. Yeah. You know? So, oh, like I said, I'm just, yeah. I'm with you on the hating people thing today. <laughs> anyway, so his claim was if they submitted, he he brutalized them, but then he would t just go drop them off. And he did claim he had over 30 victims. Okay. I don't know that any of them were ever found. You know what I'm saying? I did know that uh, aside from Cindy, there was another woman who had escaped from him. Again, back in 1979, nothing happened. But then he said that if women did not submit to them, he raped them anyway, stripped them, set them loose in the wilderness, and then would hunt them with a two twenty three rifle. Jesus, that took a turn I was not expecting. Yeah. Which I should have seen as the Right with the, the, the reference game. right earlier. And then he would take jewelry from them as trophies. As most most yes, again, do. very typical, right, mm -hmm. of, of a serial killer. Buried the bodies in the area, would mark the locations on a map that he had and he kept. Now, so did they find the map? Yes, but we'll get to that okay. in a moment. Okay, so, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. So at the time that Cindy Paulson had escaped, mm -hmm. the police in the area had already found, I believe it was two bodies, one of them is a woman who, to this day, I don't, I don't think they've ever been able to find her real identity. They gave her a nickname. And there was another body that had been found. Now, the police were looking into this. They could tell the cases were related. Cindy, like we said, is brought in. She tells her story. Robert 
uh, is brought in and questioned, but let go because, like I said, the police were very dismissive of Cindy's story. Some of them seemed to be. I shouldn't say all of them. Um, and he did have friends that gave him an alibi. So thank God, though, for a man named Detective Glenn Floth. I think that's how you say his name. It's F-L-O-T-H-E. Because he decides, hey, maybe we should look into this guy's past just a little bit. And that's the other thing. It's 1983. These centralized databases, right, that we now take for granted don't exist. I can only imagine what it's like in an area as large and far-flung as Alaska. So thank God he does because... He starts to, he digs up all of this. But again, you know, it's weird to me. Like, how can a guy have just the sheer number of things that this dude had in his past? Not to mention the seriousness of some of them. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that that wasn't at least on people's radar. Like, how did people not, I don't understand how with as much, as much stuff as he did, how did other police officers and stuff not look yeah. into his past. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, Bob runs a bakery and gives us free donuts. I don't know. Like, you know. Anyway, thanks to D Detective Glenn Floff, a few months after Cindy Paulson escapes and tells her story, there is a warrant. The police do search his property. They find jewelry. They find a marked map. In addition, by that time, they had four bodies okay. that had been found and discovered. In addition, the way that uh, Robert Hansen had financed his plane that we talked about earlier was he had all of these hunting trophies, many of which were insured, of course, and he claimed that they had been stolen. And he had gotten a very large insurance payout, which he had then used to buy his plane. Cindy Paulson had talked about when she was chained up by the neck to the pole in his basement that there were lots of trophies on the walls. Hmm. So the police also, in addition to the murder case, are building a case against insurance fraud against him. They are trying to cover as many bases as possible. It's about time they decide to do their jobs. <laughs> well, and again, like I said, you know, I don't... I don't know exactly how many of these people were on the force throughout these years. Do you know what I'm saying? How many just kind of popped in, popped out? There's a lot of stuff here that I, I'm not sure about. So Robert Hansen is arrested. Again. He has a 12-hour sit-down with the prosecutor, and he just basically spills his guts. So now he wants to say something. Yes. <sighs> and he even goes so far as to take police to where he has buried many of these bodies. Okay. Here's the weird thing to me. Some of the sources out there, and there's more than one of them. So they, they thought he'd killed 17, right? Okay. There's four of the bodies and the murders that he denies. Were they on his map? Yes. Okay. Then why? I believe so. And, and I think the bodies were found on or near the property. But he keeps claiming those aren't his. So I'm like, is he another one of these freak shows that has an accomplice that's never been caught? Do you know what I'm saying? Because, I don't know, it seems weird to me. But 
he had like a hunting yeah and he's and like club. A, yeah and he well and because he's just so forthcoming at the you know when, once he knew the gig was up he was just like like I said, he led them to all the bodies. He confesses to everything, even though he's only ever charged for the four murders that they felt like they had the best evidence for. Um, and the rest, they, you know, they don't technically charge him for, but they are attributed to him. And he just pleads guilty in 1984. They don't even put him on trial because he, he pleads. That is very strange to me. That he pled guilty? Yeah. Yeah, I like I said, I think so too. I wonder if with the amount of times that he has been arrested, convicted, and almost immediately let out, I wonder if he got cocky and thought the same thing would happen. That's a very, very good point. So he's like, why go through the trouble of sitting in jail for however long and getting convicted yeah. and then they're going to let me out? Why not just plead guilty, then put me in jail right away and then I'll get out like that? That's, you know, there might be something to that. I don't know. And this was shocking to me. Alaska does not have the death penalty. I did not know that. I did. Uh, and I know that's that's weird to think, oh, what states <laughs> do you think? Alaska's one of those states I just kind of assumed would have it. Yeah. But they do not. Um, he was sentenced to a 461-year sentence, okay. however, which meant he was never getting out. And he died at the age of 75 in prison, which I know you hate, but that was all. Well, that I was mean, at that point, there here. was yeah, nothing else was going to happen. Yeah. It would have pissed me off had he gotten the had Alaska had the death penalty. Right. He gotten the death penalty and then stayed in prison until he, he died was, at 75. Yeah, that would have pissed me off. But I mean, when they don't have the death penalty and he's basically serving life in 500, almost 500 years in prison. That's fine. Yeah. Well, like I said, it just pissed me off that he had the things on his record that he had, and he basically walked for yeah, them. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Mm-hmm. And language, that there were multiple but... witnesses, you know, coming forward as well. Like I said, yeah. there was a very strong thing. What was also interesting to me about this case was, this is fair, you know, like I said, we're talking 1983-84, so when those first two bodies had been found... Um, and then I think as the third and fourth, they did bring in a profiler, which was pretty new technology. I, te I don't know if technology is the right <laughs> word, but was a pretty new thing at the time. And the profiler pretty much described Robert Hansen dead on, said, you're looking for a man in his early 40s. He's been doing this for a long time because it's so planned. He's very insecure and probably had a stutter. Like, mentioned that in, in the profile, which that's I thought was fascinating. Nuts. Yeah. So that's the case of the Butcher Baker of Anchorage, Robert Hansen. May he rest in terror and pieces and eternally experiencing everything he did to everyone else. That really, it, I think what, I really want to know if there was more people involved. If he had this, like, hunting club... Where, like I said, it just seemed really strange to me because, like I said, there, I think, I think they said there were 21 bodies found, or maybe there were 21 X's on the map. But, and he, like I said, 17, he was like, yep, they're here, they're here, they're here. Do you know what I mean? Was very open about showing where he had buried them exactly, but he kept denying four of them. There was four of them. He kept saying, nope, I didn't do that. So I wonder that, as well. Yeah, that's very strange. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's weird. So I hate this case. I hate everything about this case. That one did. That yeah. That that pissed me off a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, go yell at me on our Facebook discuss discussion page. We are also on Twitter, Instagram. You can email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. So if you want to write me a lengthy email, tell me. I'm awful. No, Go that's ahead. Fun. Um, <laughs> but she does control the Twitter. So if you want to yell at her, Twitter's probably <laughs> your best place to do it. Thanks, Kaylin. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. All right. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, go out there and do good things in the world. We need more of them these days. And yeah. thanks for listening. 